I always joke about the UPS guys because I never know when they're coming. I, I swear they, they wait for me to leave the house and then they run up and slap a sticker on the door and run, <laughs> run away. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 111 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am back in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez, who is back in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Of course, Mark Rubin, who's also back in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. Because last week he was in L.A., right? Yeah. Fantastic. You know, L.A., not bad town. Not terrible. It's got some good points. Yep. It does. Yeah. I guess they're mostly in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> Where well, you were, were you? You were in Pasadena, which is which is a pretty nice part yeah. of town. Oh, right. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Pasadena is where I stayed. And then um, the office is in Burbank. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, I, we only ducked downtown for dinners uh, a couple times. As Johnny so Carson used to say, beautiful downtown Burbank, right? Right, exactly. Yep. So, yeah, I guess there's not much you can say about Burbank, but Pasadena was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Whereabouts were you? I was in the Hollywood area. Okay, yep. right on. Yeah. I have my new phone. Congratulations. Why, thank you. What, did you get a Samsung? <laughs> yeah the new seven the new note galaxy note seven yeah yeah whoops wrong wrong move man so on the planes this weekend they probably say this to mark you mark they um they tell you, you cannot turn on a galaxy note seven on a, on a flight oh, I, heard, I heard about you this. can't charge them and you can't you can't turn them on it is peculiar mm-hmm. and, and perhaps um intentional on samsung's part to use the seven is it not? Because they seem to be having the numbers in line with Apple's. Oh, and do they would, really? Is it well, to go out of the way to do that? that? They, they had I suppose. A, they had a Galaxy 6. Now they have the Galaxy 7 and a Note 7. I don't know if there was a Galaxy 5. Yeah, it's, it's an old marketing trick. And they probably do that in such a way that people walk into a store and say, I'm looking for the 7. Yeah. You know? And, then and the, the sales the, guy who's getting like a spiff from Samsung says, yes, yeah. you mean this one. You don't the want the Apple one. one. Yeah, exactly. Or did I say, do you want the free one or the expensive one? Oh, I'll take the free one. That's or right. the cheaper one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, do we know, like, in the, while we're on this topic, have they recalled every single unit or is it just certain batches? As far as I know, it's an official full recall. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've seen pictures of cars on fire because people left their phone in the charger in the driveway and the thing's ablaze, you know. It's a good uh, insurance scam if you're looking for a new truck or car, I guess. There is that. <laughs> I don't know, though. Yeah. Awesome. How's it going, Jaime? Good, good. You got your phone? Yeah, I did. Um, no no problem whatsoever. And according to the store little, like, you know, pick up your phone now sort of thing, I had until October 7th to pick it up. So hmm. and don't worry about that. I let um, Tim, I let Joe Chaplinski know about that, too. Because he was worried oh. about that very fact. So, yeah, he was able to pick it up in the store? I assume he was, but, like, the point is he was so concerned about the fact that he was going to be in Nashville yeah. and not New York for his, his pickup. Right, right, right. Hmm. Interesting. I, I got a 7 today, too. And I think, Aaron, you, you mentioned on Twitter that somehow the uh, the status went from it's on its way to shrug because... That's kind of sort of what happened to me is I saw when I got a text from Apple saying the phone was ready, you know, it has arrived, prepare your Visa card. 
Um, and I, you know, tracked the status here. I saw that it was actually in Mississauga at the UPS warehouse, and then it was slated to be delivered three days later. I'm like, how long does it take to drive from Mississauga to my office? You know, but it right. Apparently, the postal code was wrong, so I had to wait an extra day. And there you go. But I got it. We got it today, and we took a couple of uh, happy snaps with it. And interesting that the photos are, are the live view photos right out of the box. Is that the same with the your sister's phone, Erin? Uh, on her Galaxy or Galaxy? Listen to me. Her iPhone 6S, does it automatically take uh, live live photos? I believe it does. does. Okay, yeah, because as you swipe through them, they kind of all animate, right? So. Yep. Which is weird. Yeah, there have been a lot of... I think there's a lot of weird stuff happening with the shipping, because I've seen a lot of people tweeting their deliveries screens mm-hmm. and showing that their phones that were shipped from... Zhengzhong uh, to Incheon in Korea, then to Anchorage, and then back for some reason to Asia. No idea why. Uh, and seeing that happen to a lot of people, my coworker in Los Angeles uh, had that happen to him. So he's currently has no idea when he's getting his phone. Wow. So I don't know. It's it's a little bizarre. You know, time zones are involved too, so you don't really know like uh, a time that's like. Yesterday in Eastern Standard Time or Western or Pacific, sorry, um, you know, being 13 hours ago in or sorry, 13 hours in the future, rather. Well, maybe I got this wrong. Yeah, no, that it's it's true. It it the you, you, it shows up in Alaska the day before it was sent from China, typically. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Well, at least according to the dates, because of the the time zone change. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is bizarre, uh, and I don't think that uh, UPS's order system, in my case at least, and in the cases of the others I saw, is able to handle this. <laughs> Which is weird because you would think that should be a solved problem by now. Yeah, it was an interesting message on mine. It said, and I, I was going to ask UPS support, but about what this was, but it said the receiver has asked for a non-UPS delivery. Have you guys ever seen Brokerage. that before? Brokerage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Right. Is that coming into the country then? Right. Yeah, I guess. Um, mm. I don't know. See, there's no explanation for that sort of thing. Nobody likes UPS. That's the bottom line, right? So, Not that you have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I was lucky. I had no issues at all. It actually got here earlier than they than they said it was going to. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, we got to hasten to add here, right, that... <laughs> yeah, this was days before, yeah. This, this, I'm still getting the phone. Having gotten it today, uh, the earliest date I was supposed to have the phone was like the 27th. Next Tuesday was my originally right. slated earliest delivery date so they kicked the crap out of that mm-hmm. so anyway uh did you guys you ever use the app deliveries i've heard of it that's the one where you can figure out what uh, is coming your way is that right the the app deliveries is a tracker for shipped packages anytime you order something from a website and you get a shipping number a tracking number you can put it into deliveries and then it has a graphical user interface to show you the progress of the package from origin to you and it shows you how many days right in this like table view and uh i i've been hearing a lot of people raving about this app but had held off buying it because you know i don't tend to buy a lot of stuff online but i thought i'd pull the trigger this time and see how it was um i was really disappointed in it to be honest with you uh it it showed me far less information than i would have seen had i gone to the web view where the details are um, it just shows the current location 
So right now it's in, say, Zhenjiang, for example, uh, shipping data is received. But it doesn't even say that. It doesn't say shipping data received. Um, it just says that this is where it is. And it's it's a nice big map, you know, like they use Apple Maps and put uh, an indicator down. But uh, And then as, as it makes its hops around the world, you know, from... Zhenjiang to Inchon to, uh, to Anchorage, um, it's got little hops, dotted lines going across the world, like, you know, uh, Indiana Jones, right? So that is nice. But in terms of delivering raw information, like the sort of thing you actually want to know, like how long has it been in Inchon, for example, uh, you're out of luck. You've got to go to the detail view, which is like a web view that the app loads. And um, I found that very annoying. Um, furthermore, you would think that it would update regularly and let you know when a change occurs. No. So, I don't get it. Like, why are, why are people raving about this app? Mark, yeah, tell me. I need to know. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I use the the individual UPS and uh, U.S. Post Office websites for exactly right. that, for tracking. Right. And it works great. Uh, but it would be kind of cool to have an app that did it all in one in one spot. So, uh, maybe that's why people are raving about it. I, how much did they charge for it? Well, uh, in Canadian dollars, it was seven, six ninety nine, I think. But really? I think it's like a four ninety nine app. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd spend that much on it because I get all the functionality for free on the web. I know that's a, as a developer, What's, that's a terrible thing to say, but but uh, but still, in this instance, you're getting a better experience by sticking yeah. to the to the web. Yeah, and um, it's not like I use trackers that often, so right. yeah. And if it's Amazon, they have their own tracker built in, so there's not a huge amount of use for it for me at least hmm. and, and again they have they actually include amazon support directly so if you order right. something from amazon you can put your or, order number in there and right. did it with apple put your apple order id in there and it handles that oh, okay so um, is it is it the same for well i guess you don't you don't need an account to do tracking with ups uh you get sort of extra no. with ups there's a there's sort of a just a you know just type in a number and you get the report or you can sign up for an account, and in theory, it gives you a little bit more information and a and a better prediction of when it's supposed to arrive at your house. Although it, I, I've tried that, and it doesn't seem to give any real useful extra information, so I'm not sure that's worth it. But can you do that as well? Can you put uh, in your UPS account and all that? Or I don't think so. I think it's just order numbers because, I I, okay. like, really, all that stuff is public, mm-hmm. you know, publicly mm-hmm. facing, right? That you just put a number in there and it does the rest. But right, right. I think it's basically a scraping. It's just. I'm surprised, given how well regarded it is, that it it doesn't uh, present you more information. Yeah. So, Aaron, you posted a picture just today on Twitter. Was that a picture of a black at the Apple Store or something, or jet black? Uh, you talking about the one that I posted when I received the yeah, iPhone? It, oh, took, is that you taking a picture of your the old one, taking a picture of the new one? That was your actual phone. That's right. Oh, I see. And you got a black one as well, or jet black? Oh, you have a jet black. Oh. And so how, how spiffy is it? It is loaded with spiff. It is fully spiffy. It's beautiful. Wow. I'm yeah, I've, seen, I've seen horror story, horror pictures on the web of people scratching them up already. And, Haters going to hate. Uh, you I know, know. I think you take they a the Gatorade by the trucker full. Haterade, yeah. sorry, not Gatorade. Haterade. <laughs> Don't send your letters to us, yes. Not interested. I'm totally, I, I say this with all sincerity. Um, I have never felt more out of touch with the technical press, such as they are, uh, as I have during this launch of the iPhone 7. Uh, you look at outlets like The Verge and um, Engadget and the rest who are poo-pooing this launch. They're saying that 
boringest iPhone ever. Apple's lost its design lead. Really? Uh, you know, like Farhad Manju at the New York Times even. Um, you know, I think they're all full of crap. And uh, I, I tend to now trust these people less or these, these publications less. And I know these writers, too, so I'm keeping my eye on them. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, though. You know, it's, it, I don't know, is it perception or whatever, but, you know, holding the two in my hand. I mean, I, I have I, today I, when I had the seven in my hand, I also had a six in my hand. I think, uh, yeah, six. And these are not plus sizes, but it just felt different. Does, do you, yeah. Is that like a mental when thing? I have, or? When I have them side by side, so my six was the silver one with the silver rim. And the new one, of course, is, is solid black. I know they're exactly the same size, but when I look at it, the new one feels bigger just because it doesn't have that color rim around it. Right, right. Well, mine, mine are both silver in this case. Oh, or actually, okay. I guess, yeah, but but like I said, it just, I don't know, the 7 just, I don't know, maybe it's newer or less oil on it or something or whatever. Or you feel like stuff off your fingers or whatever. To my mind, you look at these devices and the journalists are always comparing the new one to the most recent one, Right. Right, I mean, right. that's that's all they ever do. So they, they are asking themselves, you know, on our behalf, essentially, because that's what journalists do. If you think about it, what's a journalist's job? It's to give us, as the readers, the information we're after. But the mistake that they make, every time it seems, is they are answering their own questions. They are writing for themselves. Right, right. And, you know, when you're in the business of covering the new and the shiny... Um, they assume that everyone is the same way, that they have seen everything, and they are just tired, just tired and sick of seeing not huge, uh, massive changes. And instead, what they have is a phone that has evolved very gracefully. And when I hold my iPhone 6 in one hand and this in the other, I see a device that has undergone a great deal of refinement. Uh, it's noticeably faster, feels more solid and well-built in my hand, um, and improves on the design of the 6, which, you know, was the first of its line in this, right? You know, they did the 6, the right, 6S, yeah. and now the 7, you know, iterating again and again on the same design. Um, and just like with uh, when the iPhone SE came out, you know, there was the 5, the 5S, and then the SE, Um the SE is just a better built phone than the five. So too, the seven is a better built phone than the six and it shows I can feel it, you know, but the journalists don't care about that. They just want to know, uh, where is the whiz bang new design? Right. Right. And to my mind, that extremely limited viewpoint, uh, you lose a ton of credibility with me when you write it off that simply. <laughs> yeah. It's funny at, at Indie Dev Stock, uh, Simon Allardyce gave a speech, and he was talking about you know uh, giving information, sharing information with other people, like more about his work, his, his teaching, right? But he sort of said one of the first things you need to realize is that you are actually in the way of getting that information out because you're thinking about your preconceived ideas and what you think about something, as opposed to, to sort of trying to be empathize what the reader in this case is, is getting out of, of your, out of your work, you know, or is this the right phone for me, for instance, you know, I mean, again, admittedly, we're all Apple fanboys. So when we hold these devices in our hands, you know, we, we feel different about them. Right. Um, and that, like I so I'm, I'm raising the question, is this my, per, my fanboy perception that's telling me it feels like a nicer phone than the older phone, you know, was he right? Was he saying that from the perspective of a journalist? 
Well, he was he was talking about um, his speech was about twenty eight things to I forget it's a little really long title, but it, it was more about how to impart information to other people, like you know teach them how to use an application or teach them how to you know learn a new skill or you know impart wisdom you know to enlighten them to you know as you do as a, as an instructor or a speaker or a writer anybody that's trying to pass on information from one individual to another. And he was sort of like his, the first part of his talk, the points were sort of your, your, it's not, you don't build the the experience for yourself. You build the experience for the person who needs to get that information imparted upon them, right? So what does everybody think of the phone? Is it, are you liking it? Are you loving it? I've had it for about four hours uh, during which I've been doing a lot of other things. Uh, It's been a busy night as Wednesdays are. uh, So I haven't had too much time with it yet. Yeah. For me, the, uh, the, the home button Took a little getting used to, but I really like it now. Yeah, me too, actually. I like that. So yeah. far, my early impressions are very positive. Yeah. Uh, the thing I, I'm still not 100% used to yet is the is the lift to wake, because mm-hmm. yeah. I keep lifting and just by habit, pressing the power button on the side and turning it off, because it just awoke before I before I realized oh. that I was pressing the button. So I'll, I'll yeah. get used to that, but uh, I'm const- I've been constantly doing that for the past few days. Yeah, my habit is to hold the home button down as I lift it, and so um, it works fine. And now I, di- I don't even have to push the home button with that oh, okay. awake yeah. So it's already awake, and then I'm holding my thumbs on the button, and I Touch IDs me in, and my phone's, like, on the home screen by the time it's looking at me. So is Lift Awake, uh, like, out-of-the-box experience? Like, yes. Because I didn't yeah. experience it myself. No, that's an oh. iOS 10 feature, that, and, and you're cool. experiencing it with uh, even your old phone. Oh, sorry. Oh, really? Uh, I take it back. My bad. My bad. That no, was no, a no, 6S we'll... feature. Oh, okay. So 6S and later have this lift to wake thing. Uh-huh. Um, the thing that changed in iOS 10 was that you have to push the home button after you um, touch ID. After your touch ID succeeds, the phone's unlocked, but you're not into springboard yet. You still have to push the home button to get there. But and it's fast enough we... that you just do it, in, at least for me, I can just do it in one step. I just push yeah. the button. And on the new phones, to do yeah, the Touch ID and get me in, yeah. Right on the on the six, uh, the Touch ID sensor is the the original one, and it takes a lot longer to yeah, Touch ID slow. and such. A, yeah, yeah. so it makes sense for older phones to go and shut that off. So has anyone experienced this hissing or buzzing thing that no. people are talking about? I no, I haven't, it but I haven't <laughs> haven't explicitly tried to do something like I don't know, load a three D game or some other thing that will push it to its yeah. limit and see what it does. But anecdotally, I, I haven't noticed it using a normal apps that I use. Yeah, when I did my initial restore, the phone was getting pretty hot, so it was working pretty hard, but I didn't get that. Ditto. Hey, one thing, um, so I did not have a 6S Plus, so I don't know what the weight difference is, but I did notice it's noticeably heavier than my 6 Plus. Oh, really? Which I found interesting. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like a brick or anything, but it, it, I'd have to look at the specs to see if it's more than just my imagination when I hold them. Yeah. Can you weigh it? Each other. Do you have like a, uh, you know, like a, 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 a drug a male, scale, a male scale or something like that? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't want to say that, but you know. <laughs> a fruit scale. No, I, I don't, I don't happen to have that, but I, yeah. I bet I could just look at the specs online. But, uh, for me, for my take, um, you know, it's a real nice upgrade. I don't know that it's, you know, like a spectacular one, like, oh my gosh, like I would just throw my other one in the trash. But uh, I think it's just a, a really, really nice one. Um, the Touch ID thing that you guys talked about is great. Uh, pro tip, changing it to be just resting your finger yeah. on the button and not pressing it down with raise to wake makes it 
way faster than it, you can anything you know possibly imagine there the uh the live photo stabilization seems pretty good when i've tried it out i've not had a chance to use the uh bokeh feature even though the beta just came out because this is my primary phone and i'm not really ready to sacrifice it to the uh the beta gods amen um, but other than that, i mean i do <laughs> notice that the a lot of other activities seem a lot better like uh, wi-fi connectivity seems faster uh lte seems faster so seem to be getting a lot of nice benefits from the you know upgraded chips for that and the battery life is notably better even than what i recall from the beginning days of the six plus back when i was you know testing that sort of battery life um it's really hard to drain this thing than a new six plus yeah coming from the six the the battery life is a huge improvement for me yeah yeah i can imagine yeah it's still too early to say we need yeah. time with mm-hmm. it. The mm-hmm. only negative thing that I can report, and I don't know if this is the phone or if it's just iOS 10, is that Bluetooth in my car used to be pretty rock solid, and now it drops a lot. If I'm listening to music, it drops off pretty much once every time I'm driving, which is which is a lot. Mm. Uh, and uh, And basically, I just have to open up the phone and... Then it comes right back as soon as I as soon as I turn on the phone. I wake the phone. It comes right back. I never ever saw that in the previous phone or iOS nine. So Interesting. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, I have not encountered that. Uh, I've not encountered any drops using my Bluetooth headphones. Um, however, I have noticed that it's not quite as what is it? It's like not every single time that I turn them on will it pair up without me actually lifting and waking the device mm. so that's um i don't know if that's a design change um some sort of software bug uh a nefarious ploy to get me to buy airpods or something like i'm not sure exactly <laughs> what's happening there but I, but i have noticed something with bluetooth mm-hmm. uh, apple watch connectivity seems perfectly fine so i'm not really entirely certain what it is maybe it's the like audio subsystem or some yeah it could be yeah or it could just be some kind of uh interaction between the, the car software and the phone software too it's possible mm-hmm. reboot the phone see if that makes any difference i, I have done it yeah hmm. it doesn't seem to help huh. i mean it's it's livable it's it's annoying uh you know i'm certainly not going to trade in the either the car or the phone uh because of it but uh but it's annoying all right huh. drive hey. the car off a cliff <laughs> 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 screw this yeah yeah and that's a quote yeah. yeah. So it's okay. Actually, actually, I could just use my old iPhone six as a uh, an iPod car that I just phone. keep in the car all the time. Interesting, right? Mm. For music, day so phone and a night it, phone. It won't. Uh, it won't do calls, but it'll work for music. Hmm. Right. Well, uh, let's do a little fu. Right? We have fu. Sure. Last week on the show, we were talking about Dropbox and how it is taking advantage of Mac users and their accessibility settings. We heard from Sean O'Toole, SoTool on Twitter, who passed along a little note about how Sierra, the new version of Mac OS that's out now, addresses these Dropbox security concerns. And uh, it does so by specifically asking for permission when uh, an app tries to get into accessibility. It, it seems like Apple has responded directly to this problem by putting an, a UI in front of you if it tries to change the accessibility settings. I haven't looked at this too deeply, but 
If so, um, I hope that internally it's called the Dropbox feature. Having said that, though, I am still away from Dropbox. It's gone. It's history, and it's not coming back anytime soon. So that FU, thank you, Sean. That's all the FU we have, too. Am I right? Actually, no, there's one more other FU. I'm surprised it's not here. I'm sorry. I don't see it. It's from Troy Beach uh, regarding... um, Third Beach. Troy Hanna. Yeah, Troy Hanna, yes. Oh, it's a comment on our website. Yeah, why don't you have a quick glance at that, and I'll look at Dennis's thing. So, yeah, the the, um, follow-up for Dennis Pellerinos is that he's going to be speaking at PragmaConf on October 12th and 14th. So if you're over over across the pond and you're going to be going to PragmaConf and you're interested in Buddy Build, uh, Dennis will be giving a talk there. Okay. I'm I'm reading Troy's talk uh, comment here. Yeah, I guess what he's... What he's saying is he's bemoaning the quality of mapping services in general, not just Apple Maps. Uh, This is regarding my comment last week that Apple was doing a very poor job updating their uh, maps uh, with the data that I gave them months ago about a major new highway in our region. He's saying that uh, sometimes he just has to give up and use an actual, what I assume he means is a printed map and compass to figure out which way to go because you don't have to use a digital map for very long to find a flaw in it. Well, um, judging by his his uh, website, he's actually in Manitoba, so that must be challenging out there. Right? <laughs> Let's not okay. laugh at Manitoba I, just all that much. Come you know? on, what? Why? That sounds like exactly what you're doing. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, it, it, given you know the the environment that he lives in, it's it's probably not high on Apple's list of places to sort of map out, right? Oh. So you know, actually, that's a question I had, and and that's um, perhaps an implicit. Uh, question from my comments last week because you know as you might recall i I just listened to the show like today so it's it's fresh in my mind right um my one of the things i was wondering is is it is it are we missing a major highway here because we're canada and apple doesn't care about us it seems that if if your assumption is true tim that you know there's a lot of errors in manitoba because nobody cares about manitoba because there's only like a million people who live there yeah um you know is that how apple works you know, New York City and Chicago and L.A. are in tip-top condition, but smaller places are lower, and there is a priority list. You know, that doesn't yeah. seem... That doesn't seem... Well, that seems crappy to me, uh, is all I, yeah. I would say. But, uh, but, it seems, but it's reasonable, right? If you have a limited number of resources, then you do the things that affect the largest number of customers first. Exactly, and yeah. Fill in the rest later. Yeah, it's like the old days when we, when we had dial-up modems. A service provider would have X number of modems to meet the sort of median uh, load, not necessarily the peak or the or the trough, right? Well, this that's this is a little different from that um, because you have to be regarded as a comprehensive tool, or else you're going to have people lose faith because you know people go around their own neighborhoods, and most people live in cities. But people travel, too, and if they can't rely on it while traveling, you know, through maybe lesser populated areas, then you're going to lose a lot of cred- credibility that way. Right. But you See, can't, you can't I, do everything at once. So of course you, not. No, I'm not saying that you can't. The, the, you know, a few million people in a major city not lose faith than the, the few people in a more rural area. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It'd be great if they could do everything perfectly all at once, but... No, that's not my expectation. I mean, that's crazy. That's a crazy expectation. My my expectation, though, is that um, within three, say it's been three months since the 407 opened, and they they can't spare a single person 
to uh, to add this highway. Uh, that seems like it's gone too far. And there are mistakes, certainly. You know, roads that um, that maybe don't go as far as it says on the map, or or too far, or further, or whatever. Um, but this is a colossal, to my mind, a colossal oversight um, to to have a highway that serves so many people hmm. um, that cannot be added in the space of three months. That that to me remains mind blowing. Yeah, and isn't the toll the tolls now in effect, right? For that no, stretch of road, not until the end, not until two thousand seventeen. Oh, really? Also, it's going to be free free till then. Hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't want to belabor the point. It's just yeah. uh, it's weird. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's go on. That's that's the fu, or yeah, that's the fu. Mm-hmm. We are completed the follow up. Did you want to talk about the dev stock indie dev stock? I don't know how yeah. much detail you want to get into because it's over, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there were, there were some great insights there for indie developers. Um, I don't know if Jaime has anything he wants to add uh, about it initially, or yeah, I I want to sneak sneak in with like my um, favorite talk of the session, and I'm going to say that I have recused the uh, MTJC hosts from this, so that removes you, Tim, that removes Greg, and that removes Tammy, so nobody feels like. You know, I have like a favorite friend or something, and I'm, I'm choosing sides. So, having removed you folks from from the list, what was my favorite session? I think it was uh, "No One Is an Island" by Joe Chaplinsky, um, which oh, really? was one of the first ones. Um, and I think it really spoke to like that theme of of the conference of like pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, getting um, a community going, getting your marketing going, and of course, getting your technology going. I think we had a mix of that at the conference. Hmm. My favorite talk was uh, probably Staying Indie by Curtis Herbert. Um, That was a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. He talked about, um, you know, uh, the sort of ongoing dialogue about how um, we all think could Apple fix our problems by, you know, allowing us to have, you know, uh, trials and uh, paid upgrades and that kind of stuff. And his talk was more around the fact that, okay, so Apple isn't, hasn't done this and probably isn't going to do it in future uh, to be more aware of what's going on in the marketplace and to find ways to make your app uh, better, succeed better, get different kind of sales. And like in the case of Slopes, which is his uh, app, um, you know, he fortunately was able to combine two things he liked, snowboarding and uh, app development and put and create an app for people to track their their, uh, their their runs, if you will. And he had you know sort of a ways of it was originally a paid upfront app, and then he decided he needed to get more, give people a trial. So he came up with his own way of doing a trial, and that is to give people sort of on the first day they have the app the full experience. So they get all the charts and all the you know bells and whistles, and then afterwards, uh, the next time they go to use it, they get sort of a very minimal amount of information, similar to how we get, you know, from the UPS website, if you will. Um, And if you want more information, then pay up for an upgrade. And then he eventually got to the model of having a, uh, like a season pass. Cause in, in, and that makes sense in that niche market, he did raise his price at, at one point because he realized that, you know, the price he had was too low because it's, it's a small market of people that would want to have this app. And, um, so he talked about how developers can, uh, or indie developers can find other ways to, to, uh, raise income within the structure that we're given to work with at Apple, you know, marketing and, and, other things and talked about how, you know, people are using tip jars and, and subscriptions to sort of augment their app sales. And so it was a really good talk. Do you know, Tim, is all this going to be on the web at some point, all the talks? 
actually, though, the, the talks are going to be available. In fact, Tammy has already published a link, and I'll put it in the show notes, um, where people, she's doing a, a, a sort of a, you couldn't make it to the show, I don't know what you call it, a, a pass where you can have access to the videos um, and uh, for nominal fee and then um, be able to go through them all at your leisure. She's actually published her keynote speech in Angela's introduction uh, on the website, uh, the Indie Dev Stock website, for free currently. Um, I'm not sure if she's going to put any other comment, content up there, but all of us speakers are you know, assembling our slides and sending them into her so she can do the Final Cut Pro thing and, and marry the audio with the talking head with the slides. So that's, uh, that's currently in production. Great. So, and by the way, so one thing I do have to say, though, the, the venue, oh, my God, was oh my god the venue is great is one of the comments we got back um the gaylord opry Opry land and resort and convention center is on 57 acres of land and i i gotta say everybody was getting we could get lost going from one end of the conference center to the other it was just it was hilarious and it was beautiful it was like um three giant greenhouses and all the hotel rooms uh, opened up into them um, and, you know, there was like tropical plants and palm trees and waterfalls and, you know, the food was amazing. Yeah, so it was a great, great venue. Um, I think uh, I heard a comment at the speaker table where they sort of said, you know, uh, other conferences would have to go a long way to match this particular venue. So really, nice. really swell. Mm-hmm. It was pretty neat. And um, you also forgot about the river with the little boat that you can ride. I, I didn't I, take uh, the opportunity to do that, but it was kind of incredible to see this like disneyland style like pirates of the caribbean little boat ride thing going through what's essentially like a darn convention and hotel center it was it was amazing not only did i miss it but i didn't even see it that's how, how big this place was yeah it was oh, huge wow, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I completely that was i think it was when you were having your burger maybe maybe you saw it there i don't know but yeah because it was in the delta we used, we called it the delta quadrant because it was like huge you know, just like on, on Deep Space Nine, you got lost in a matter of minutes. You know, I, I must have taken a wrong turn in Albuquerque. I was saying that all weekend. So, right. And uh, of- any Elvis sightings? <laughs> no? I'm sure there were. Sure they were. And uh, we also had the the live podcast, which uh, if you haven't gone back to listen to episode 110, which is what we released for that, uh, I recommend you do. It was the uh, more than just roundabout release notes with, uh, you know. Josie from Release Notes, uh, Tammy and, and Tim were representing Roundabout, and then uh, Greg and I and Tim and Tammy representing MTJC. So not not the full complement of everybody from all those shows, but uh, a good representation, I think. Yeah, there were some great discussions. Um, uh, Joe spoke about his. We we sort of dug into him about his uh, sticker pack uh, to sort of see what what the experience was like creating one of those and. Um, as well, Joe, and, and one as actually uh, a question from one of our fans uh, using an Ask MTJC tag about uh, diversity and in conferences and, and how do how do re- the release notes conference and how did Indie Dev Stock conference um, kind of deal with that and try what did they do to try and make uh, make uh, diversity happen more in tech? Yeah, and shout out to all the people who were uh, fans of our shows and and people who who weren't and just kind of stuck around to see what it was like for for being there. That was. Uh, it was definitely unique for me to be able to do this, not just here in the comfort of my own house, just my own voice, uh, but seeing all the other hosts and everybody else out there was uh, quite an experience. Sure. They could have made more noise, though, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> we're very quiet, weren't they? 
Yeah, they were. It's funny. They were kind of respectful. Uh, I've I've been to some TV taping, TV shows taping, and and people, unless it's a comedy, right? But you know, normally people, um, it's like a, just a conversation that happens, and it wasn't necessarily mic'd in that in those cases. But yeah, people tend to not really sort of shout out stuff, and it was very strange, very Canadian of them to just sort of take it all in, you know. And short, we were kind of rushed for time. <laughs> oh no, that was good. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> It was easy to edit that way too, so I didn't have to, didn't have too much work to do. Obviously, oh, there was some work to do be done, but still. Mm-hmm. So yeah, is Tammy going to run this show again already. next year? You know, I, I think every conference uh, they decide based on. I think it takes a couple of days for them to sort of uh, come back down to earth. I mean, I was talking to Tammy about that earlier today, and and she's still in a fog. Um, about things, uh, she, I mean, because she was paying attention to the to the show, if you will. Um, she really didn't sort of take in a lot. I mean, there was fireworks on Saturday night. I asked her if she saw those, and she she didn't. So she was totally in the zone of, of running the show. So I think there's a there's a sort of um, I don't know what you call it, but uh, there's a there's a, a Dermot Daly called it a crash. After a couple of days, you're just kind of like, oh my god, it's, it's over, and I miss all those people. I wish I could hug them all. Kind of thing was is the, the feeling you get. So, I mean, I think it's it's hard for a conference person who's running these things. There's so much work involved as to whether or not they'll do it again next year. I think I can speak freely in saying that for the 60 people that were there, they definitely want it to be run again. And, and a few, few of the comments I saw that Tammy shared with me, they would say, yeah, for sure, they would they would probably double the uh, attendance based on uh, the success of this first one. It was, it was a really good show. That's great. Um, it did seem to me that she was having trouble selling tickets is that accurate that's a common thing we talked to john oh, i'm wilker. sure it is <laughs> yeah we talked to john wilker about that on, on when he was on roundabout and and he sort of said yeah there's a sort of there's you have to sort of try not to panic you know you start the early bird sales and some people do buy them and, and over time um you people do start to buy them. and she was selling like she sold a ticket the day before the conference opened i mean like there right. were lots of last minute stuff so they, they pretty much i think they sold all but two tickets that they had available yeah, so. all said, that's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Yep. Yeah, I remember from that episode him saying that uh, a big bulk of the conference tickets get sold like right towards the end, and you kind of have to benefit from having uh, multiple years of this, right? Because you have some sort of uh, like an alumni group that not only spreads the word but also knows about it rather than. You know, we've talked about in this show, marketing is hard. And so getting the word out for a brand new conference uh, takes time. It's not instantaneous. Yep. All righty. So hopefully she will do it next year. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. You know, knowing Tammy, unless it was like a, I think that the general consensus was a good time was had by all. And uh, she probably would enjoy doing that again. Um, I'm sure, uh, I mean, Angela, her partner, was sort of uh, alluding to the fact that that uh, there would be a next year. But I think you know that's a, that's obviously a decision that the conference organizers have to make themselves, right? Uh, we're all rooting for you, though. <laughs> it was a good conference. Next year, I won't have jury duty planned for that day. <laughs> yeah. And then it turned out that I didn't have it. There's so they called you, called you the day before. They you, called you me showed up? the day before. They called me last Thursday. And said, yep, we're canceling the jury. We don't need them. So you're out. 
And did they give you like a pass for like the the next three years? Because I, I yeah. know when I went, I had to actually go to the court courthouse and appear, and and you know then I had then I was given a I don't know a certificate or something. You frame it a, a pass. No, I don't know where it is, but well, no. uh, It turns out that I'm simply off the books for three years, and then of course I'm back in the pool. But statistically speaking, my odds of being chosen again are pretty low. Yeah, they they showed us a really low budget uh, production from the '80s. You know how how they had those sort of teal and green graphics, and back in those, you know, all those video effects. And they showed us that thing, and it was like, "Hey, here's your opportunity to do your civic duty, and you know, get you all pumped up." And then they, you know, an hour later, they you're all thinking, "Oh, hey, you know, I'm I'm doing my part for Canada here, right?" And then they come in and say, "Yeah, sorry, you're all going home." (laughs) Right. Yeah, I love it though. but, you know, on the other hand, it's like, you know, I was planning to go to this conference and I couldn't. And now I could have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, well, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Mm. I have a feeling I'd like to attend one conference uh, next year in 2017. Don't know what it would be, but um, yeah, uh, I should I should go to one. Well, if I had to pick a conference since you're on it, um, my number one conference would be 360 iDev. That's one I like uh, after WWDC, of course. Um NS North is another favorite of mine that I that I really don't like to miss, and uh, Indie Dev Stock is a, is a close third now. And of course, I'm going to RW DevCon in uh, in March. I think it is this year in, in Washington D.C. So, good lord, good. Well, you're yeah. attending a ton of conferences. I could not. Well, no, no, that's the plan. That's that's what I would like to do. That's not exactly what I am doing, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. well, we shall see. I've been thinking a little bit about the Mac. Uh, yesterday, uh, Mac OS Sierra became available to everyone and people have been furiously installing it i uh, am in the process of installing it now on my main computer but uh, i'm holding off a little bit on my macbook maybe till this weekend because i'm lazy um i haven't felt the same compulsion to upgrade as i have in the past uh, and and almost certainly it's because there's not a whole lot to sierra that is uh, dramatically different and improved. It's a refinement. And unfortunately, I don't think uh, not a refinement in the same way that the iPhone that I'm holding in my hand here is a refinement. Uh, It is, um, to my mind, and this is the hypothesis that I have right now, a sign uh, of several, one of several, that the Mac's days are done. Um, Not over yet. It's not dead right now. But I I feel like I am seeing the future in this update to Sierra, that the Mac is going to go away. And I think Apple knows it, and I think they're preparing for it. And if you allow me a minute to line up my argument, I will explain my thinking to you. Because <laughs> yeah, I was going to exactly ask you exactly yeah. that thing. What makes you think that? Yeah. What makes you think that? Okay. I got a few things that have kind of been coming together for me in the past couple weeks. And, um, you you know, let me let me lay it out there. And then you guys can sort of comment on it and see, see if I'm crazy or um, if you agree. Okay. Um, the first one, you know, we've we've been talking a lot about this lately, especially because there's been an absence of updates to the Mac hardware, right? Uh, for quite some time now, the the thousand plus day old Mac Pro being chief among them. Uh, but that problem is Intel, and we know that Intel has been uh, having a lot of issues iterating on their their uh, architecture. Uh, they're late with uh, with products that they've been promising for some time. And they appear to be sort of scaling down their ambitions um, in terms of uh, updating their process and shipping when they say they will. Uh, 
The first thing I have is an article from WCCFTech.com, a site I'd never heard of before this either, but they report on, um, on Intel, among other things. And this article that I've just pasted into our document is about the coming generations of Intel chips, uh, particularly KB Lake, Cannon Lake, and Coffee Lake, which are the oncoming generations of Intel chips. And um, it's, it's a, this article is a rather long tour through uh, what Intel's planning and what they're coming out with. But uh, let, me, let me give you the nut. Essentially, what we're looking at for the, the mobile processors, the ones that we would see in uh, MacBook Pros, for example, we're not seeing a real major architecture change until midway through 2018 from the way Intel's planning things out right now. Um, you have a possibility, because currently we're on Skylake, uh, we have a potential KB Lake processor coming, uh, should have been out by now, uh, I think it might be, but the kind of chip that Apple would be using in a MacBook Pro, the Coffee Lake ones, according to this article, uh, aren't going to be available until Q2 of 18. Long, long ways off. So that's one thing, and we know uh, from Apple's history that they are no fans, no fans, my friends, of being hung out to dry by their vendors. No fans. Mm-hmm. And you know what they do when vendors do that to them? They take matters into their own hands. Which leads me to my next point. Uh, the A10 Fusion chip, which debuted with the iPhone 7. Uh, that chip is a sort of hybrid quad core with uh, dual cores of high performance CPU and dual core, uh, what they call uh, performance, or is, it, is that what it is? Performance uh, CPUs that use much less power, but provide sort of A8 level, like an iPhone 6 uh, performance um, for doing just run-of-the-mill stuff like checking your email or loading Twitter, for example. Is there a link um, for this, by the way? I don't have a link for the A10 Fusion chip, um, okay. because th- this is something that we've been talking about uh, for the past week or so. I should have one, though, and I, I'm a very bad show host. My apologies. Um, let me just find one for you. <laughs> the, the big thing about that are the benchmarks, okay? The benchmarks are what is important here. Now, benchmarks are not the whole story in terms of, you know, what a CPU means, right? Um, because they are, to my mind anyway, benchmarks are a way to compare chips on sort of similar tasks, so there's there's a link there for the uh, benchmarks of the A10 Fusion chip. There have been a ton of articles about it. This is just one because um, it was big news when the A10 was announced. The idea being that uh, if you take like a particular work unit and you try the same work unit on different architectures, different hardware, um, then you will the result that you get is in a way. Uh, comparable and has something to say about relative performance of different hardware. Um, There are a lot of criticisms that you can make about benchmarks. However, uh, we have seen um, very clearly that the A10 Fusion chip benchmarks very, very well and sort of backs up Apple's assertion of what has really been exponential uh, improvements in the the A-series line. Like Apple's uh, CPU guys are are killing it. Like they're really killing it. They're killing it in a way that 
that Intel is not killing it, right? So that's that's why I bring this up immediately after Intel's roadmap. Uh, Intel's definitely not killing it these days. Apple is. And so if Apple is sort of finding themselves in a corner uh, with Intel's roadmap and they don't have the new hardware to put in their computers, well, they don't have to look too far to see where there is a potential for having better control over their destiny, which is, an you know, Apple's playbook. And also something that, well, gee whiz, you know, maybe they do have the capability of shipping something that can power a desktop operating system. And so here, let's go to the third point. (laughs) Um, The fact is, you have kind of two options at this point, if you're Apple. You can sort of look at the A-series line of CPUs and say, do we put these in Macs and make the Mac a ARM-powered operating system or do we put these in ipads and iphones these super powerful cpus that we make and make ios more capable and replace the mac and the evidence that i see before me suggests that apple had this conversation a while ago and made a decision already and everything that we're seeing sort of pushes us towards ios and away from mac The latest evidence I have, and I'm going to put this link in the show notes, is a tweet from Stephen Stroughton Smith, great name, where he's been sort of cataloging today the features that are out in iOS 10 and Sierra uh, in a Venn diagram. And in the middle are the features that are shared between those platforms. Uh, So that that link is there in the show notes as well. You can look at um, the, the features that are iOS only, And you can look at the features that are Sierra only, and then you can see the ones in between. And those are the ones that are shared. And I think if you look at that, you're going to be uh, quite persuaded that very little is happening on Sierra that is just for Sierra. I can list them. There's only five. Um, Tabbed windowing, smart card extensions, Apple Watch unlock, and optimized storage. Um, And even that, you know, is arguably an iCloud feature, Uh, as well as improvements to AppKit. The list uh, to the left of that, which encompasses iOS 10 and the things that are shared, um, there's probably like a couple score of those. Lots going on. Apple's interest in the Mac in and of itself as a platform is obviously waning. And their interest in the hardware uh, seems to be equally so. There's definitely something going on. So that's, that's my evidence that I'm seeing here. It seems that Apple's not serious about Mac OS, and that's why I don't think it can be around for very much longer. The innovation, uh, the mindshare, and the hardware focus is on iOS, okay? So you see uh, improvements on the phone, you see improvements in the iPad. Uh, The watch, obviously, uh, is very important uh, because a lot of of innovations happening outside and inside. What are the signs that I'm right? What are we going to have to see for this to happen? And just to hammer it home here, what I'm talking about is the end of the Mac and the full flourishing of iOS to replace it. To make that happen, what has to happen? First off, iPad has to get more desktop-like. iOS of today isn't enough to to replace the Mac. Um, So the signs that we would be looking for are things that are happening to the iOS on iPad version, I think, that make the Mac redundant. And that would be things like true windowing support, 
or Better Multitasking or Xcode for iPad, look for those things. Something like external display support. People need larger displays, you know, and they can't be chained to the one that they buy with their iOS device. So something like um, a display that you can connect to, you buy a display from Apple and you can, you know, plug in the lightning port and now you've got a large display from your iOS device. Look for something like that. Um, App support. Uh, The fact that iOS is so locked down today uh, prevents a lot of really innovative use cases as we have for desktop computers, like terminal clients, for example, and, um, you know, small one-off apps that you couldn't even ship to the app store. Uh, so sideloading is something that has to be looked at too. So those are sorts of the things that I would expect to see if, if Apple were moving in this direction. Okay. I'm done now and you guys can comment. Well, I do agree that if there's a, a, a limit a limit in terms of what scale Intel can can use, I mean, they did this before with Motorola, where Motorola couldn't keep up with the market demand for the kind of computers we have, they would find another way to do it. And I could see, and I've thought about it myself, that, you know, their their work on with the, uh, what do you call it, Atom, you know, they're, they're doing with the, the A10s and that, those kind of lines. I could see them coming up with their own solution for the Mac there. But I really, I really am hard-pressed to see iOS anytime soon, like within the next two, three years, replacing the Mac in terms of all of its functionality. Because the thing about it is the desktop PC, if you want to call it, essentially that's what a Mac is. It's a personal computer, desktop PC, whatever you want to call it, workstation. Um, it's uh, still in a, there still is a, a large use of computers outside of our little world as developers in terms of what people use their computers for. I do see that uh, the iPad and, and larger iPhones, if you will, could replace consumer level uses like the MacBook that you own, um, which is sort of a, um, you know, it's sort of a moving down towards sort of a hybrid, hybrid kind of solution. But I, I'm, I really don't see, um, the, I don't think that Apple is 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 idly sitting by while the, the Mac just decays. I think what the reality is is that Intel isn't bringing stuff to the table, and I'm sure Apple's looking elsewhere. What do you What do you guys think, Mark? You're the CPU guy here, or, or the integrated circuit guy. What do you What do you think? Well, there's not too many other options for large microprocessors of the of the scale that Intel does. I mean, ARM cores aren't aren't anywhere close to as sophisticated as a, as a big Intel processor so so for the true power pro users doing you know pro audio or or video yeah or you know pixar right they use their their make their entire movies on 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 these things they're certainly not going to be doing that on an ipad anytime soon i mean maybe sometime in the future but not anytime soon it just doesn't have the muscle for that uh, yeah I, you know i think the the average person on the street probably doesn't need a desktop slash laptop at all anymore. Uh, you know, your, your seven year old aunt or whatever, you know, doesn't, doesn't need a, a full computer. She can get by or, or your uncle, whatever can, can be fine with, with just an iPad or an iPhone or something like that. So, so yeah. So I, I, I do think that the number of computers out there probably will go down as a percentage of, of total users. Uh, but I don't see them going away completely. Uh, certainly, the, the the pro. I mean, are you going to develop on an iPad? No. I mean, to, to do the stuff that we do, for example, you can't do that right now. And so, you certainly can't run Xcode on Windows either. So that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I don't know. This is 
I live in a biased place, I guess, but, but you walk around town here or you go into businesses around here and 90% of the computers you see are Macs. You don't see a lot of Windows PCs anymore around here, at least. Uh, at least I don't. Uh, and, I, I, you know, if, if the Mac went away, what would replace it? The, I don't see people going back to Windows machines for engineering work and... Yeah, there, maybe there's Linux or something like that, but but the Mac's pretty entrenched in that space, so I, I just I don't see it happening anytime soon. Okay, I want to be very clear here um, that when I'm making my argument here, I'm not talking about today's iOS. And I had the same conversation on Monday night with my friend Stefan, who's uh, in in a similar uh, mind to you, Mark, who's saying that no, I could never use iOS as a main operating system, but. Everything I'm saying presupposes an advanced iOS, and you, we, we cannot assume that iOS isn't going to change. I think it's going to undergo dramatic change, uh, and I think the iOS of even five years from now is going to be very different from what we have today. Well, then you can now, make can, the same argument that, that maybe it's not the iOS of the future that is the winner. Maybe it's the macOS of the future that takes, exactly, takes yeah. on enough of it, – it's sort of semantics, right? These are, these are kind of to, – to say a, an iPad versus a, a desktop is, is kind of semantics too. They're both computers just in different form factors, different, different uh, power uh, potential. So, so if you're talking about 10 years from now – Maybe there won't be any difference, and so it's it's sort of hard to predict these types of trends based on existing technology. It sort of doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. I think. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly right. I mean, I mean, why why would Apple Apple go through I the whole process of renaming totally with that. Mac OS? But the um, there may, in fact, as as Mark was kind of alluding, there may, in fact, be another operating system that sits between Mac OS and iOS and becomes the new hybrid yeah. that we're, we're all thinking about, right? Right, right. I'll go on record. If you go back to the earliest uh, podcast, I was predicting a, a dual boot uh, iPad slash Mac or something that had both iOS and Mac OS availability on the same hardware. And I, that was kind of poo-pooed at the time, but... Uh, but, uh, I would poo-poo that today. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. Well, why? Because it's too complicated. Apple would never ship two operating systems on one piece of hardware. I think You're I said talking that. About you, you can do that with Boot Camp, right? You can, yeah, they've done it You before, can do it, but that's, sure. that's a hack that they don't, they don't really – they're not interested in that. And that they don't consider that a mainstream product. That, that's like a, a holdover. Well, you know, for Windows users, if, if this is something that you feel you need, then here you go. And you can tell they're not that well, interested in it because they don't really okay, support. Okay, but then if then if your prediction is true, they would have to do the same thing to support all the existing macOS users who have to have that one piece of software that that doesn't work on iOS. I agree. I think they would, and I can imagine that. I can see that very clearly. I think that that's exactly what would happen. Um, we're in violent agreement, Mark, uh, because <laughs> I can imagine there being like, okay, so here's here's iOS, fully capable. You can do whatever you want with it. But uh, you old people that are yelling at clouds, if you need to have a uh, Mac OS, traditional Mac OS, legacy Mac, as they might call it, then here's a mode that you can operate in. And you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops to get it working. But here it is. Um, I can totally see that happening. 
We also saw a product that where uh, it was a Windows, Windows phone, I believe, where you could walk up to a desktop, plug in a, like you said, I think you were sort of alluding to this, plug we in a keyboard about and this mouse and, and have a, exactly, that, that's something that can be done. I mean, I, I could see it happening. I mean, I do it now with my, with my MacBook Air, you know, when I want to be portable, I'm portable. When I want to be at a desktop, I take it and plug it into my, my Apple display and I have a trackpad and a full size, you know, extended keyboard and, and it's as if I'm working on a desktop. In fact, I can I even I have two monitors because I can keep, you know, both monitors going and share the screens, right? Um, so that's another possibility too. And that's kind of alludes to sort of what Mark is saying and sort of what you're saying, Aaron, in terms of where the future of commuting is going. Um, but I do want to bring Jaime into this because we started this whole thing. He and I um, uh, talking about the fact that we were sort of at the midpoint in where iOS was back in 2013 when we first met. So, Jaime, what do you think about these sort of opposing arguments and, and where do you sort of land? I guess if if we're looking at something like mobile and then and, and iOS in particular as being sort of like, you know, well, now beyond the well beyond the midway point of the, the sort of normal life cycle that they have, um, you know, the 10 year cycle. Uh, Mac OS is well beyond that, right? If it looks like a big hump and then comes down after the 10th year and kind of just sort of trails off into the distance and the long tail, there really isn't much that can be added to Mac OS to make it more interesting. So I don't, there's not even that much that can really be added to, you know, the hardware for laptops and desktops. They can make them that much more interesting, um, we're seeing mm. it with with mobile phones as well, right? Like, there, sure, there's nice things. I I do like my seven plus, but it's not dramatically different than it was um, from year to year. And when you add up the differences, uh, getting back to an earlier point in the show, um, they are pretty dramatic, right? Like, if you you know your last phone was an iPhone five or your last phone was a, an iPhone four S, like you should be blown away by the seven and the seven plus. Um, moving from a six S to us or a success plus probably less so so I'm, I'm i'm not really sure that it will necessarily come together or that one will replace the other because there really isn't like a lot going on with them they're overlapping but yet still pretty distinct tools in my mind yeah actually that's a that's a really good point we're, we're sort of conflating two different things here we've got ios versus mac os which for purely historical not purely historical, but mostly historical uh, reasons are two separate things uh, with the concept of different hardware configurations going away. The the laptop hardware configuration versus the iPad hardware configuration, one of those disappearing. Uh, and I guess we're conflating a third thing as well, which is the whole marketing and branding and, and how much value to Apple is, the Mac, is having the existence of the Macintosh line. Uh, versus the the iPad line, uh, it's it's not clear that that they would want the Macintosh name to go away. But but having said all that, then if we take them as separate things, then yeah, there's there's kind of no doubt that iOS and macOS are converging, and and it's and it's very possible that there will be one unified OS to rule them all right, at some point, and it works on on all the different pieces of hardware. But that's independent of having the different hardware configurations changing. Uh, it, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's much easier to believe that there would be one unified operating system uh, 
which again is is maybe questionable given that they've just recently split them up even more. Right now, there's four different operating systems, but that's mm-hmm. but anyway, but that's more believable to me than than them suddenly deciding that they're not going to have a desktop or laptop hardware configuration anymore. I don't see that happening for a long time. That's that's way too entrenched in how people work. Yeah, I think that they would readily sell hardware that would mimic the existing configurations. Absolutely. Like they do today with the iPad Pro, right? And a smart keyboard. Uh, that is not dramatically different than notebook computer configuration. So too, they could have wireless keyboards and pointing devices and displays that you could walk up to like a continuum, like Microsoft's continuum, uh, and and just have whatever iOS device you have be the brains of that setup. Um, but, you don't but have to stretch too why far. Why would it have to be an iOS device? I guess is the point. It's it's uh, because that's where that's where Apple lives. That's their bread and butter. That's their operating system. That's the one they care about. And that's the point I've been trying to make is that they clearly don't care about macOS anymore. It's iOS. That's what they work with going forward. Well, again, the names are sort of meaningless. I mean, iOS is the is the one that has support for touch for the most part. Mm-hmm. And macOS has support for traditional keyboards and mice support. And tvOS has support for focus. And watch iOS has support for complications and stuff like that. Uh, so, so to say that iOS is the one that will take over all the rest is, is maybe kind of pushing it, but because, because simply because we've seen this divergence just in the past year into four different ones, but to have them all be variations on one larger theme is, is a reasonable thing, but to call it iOS, I mean, it's, it's kind of semantics. We're just kind of using names to, to, in a way that, that, uh, as they're used today, uh, to, to talk about things in 10 years, which is a, which is always kind of a mistake. Right. So, Mark, in the financial district in San Francisco, are mm-hmm. they all working on Macs there? Or? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, <laughs> I don't go into the banks and stuff up there too often. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the engineering community. You know, I, yeah, I, I, I understood your designers and graphics and, and yep. engineering. What about uh, Jaime? What do you think the the sort of mix of um, hardware choice, computer choices are in in uh, Seattle area where you are? Um, I think if you just kind of go to different shops or you go to um, you know, different offices, Co- co-working spaces seem to be like a really good place to sort of experiment with this because you have folks who uh, don't have a ton of budget and yet you'll still see predominantly, I'm, I'm not going to say it's, you know, 80 or 90%, but it's uh, a pretty easy majority are um, Mac devices, right? Uh, MacBook Pros, that sort of thing. Um, you'll still see, you know, cheaper um, what well, I see, Lenovo devices are still pretty popular. Sometimes, you know, you'll see a Dell. So these are going in the, I'm assuming generally Windows, because I don't look behind to see if they're like running Ubuntu or some other Linux variant on there. Uh, but you can kind of tell that uh, the Apple logo is is there, right? Like there's tons of of, of mindshare for developers because it's, you know, it, it's kind of like the best of all worlds, no matter what kind of, you know, a huge barrier to entry for doing any sort of Apple ecosystem development is the requirement to have a Mac. Um, exactly. Doing yeah. Android development, uh, heck, even doing Windows development with like the bootcamp stuff is, you know, yeah, you give up some of the integration with the hardware, but considering it's a, a complete no-go, a complete non-starter doing anything iOS development related, um, Mac's just kind of 
end up with all of those extra check marks that uh, a lot of the other platforms don't have. And it's interesting too because we've talked about this from in terms of cell phone choices in in Mark's world everybody's on iPhones. In our world in in downtown Toronto, it's Blackberries, Android devices and iPhones. It's less and less Blackberries every day, but you still see them quite often, quite frequently. And I can tell you one of the reasons why I've never really wanted to take a corporate job on because I knew that 99% of the time you're going to get handed a PC and that's going to be your only computer of choice. However, I'm fortunate enough to be you know, a lead iOS developer at a major bank, so I have a Mac and I'm the person who takes care of all the Macs for for the people at the bank. More and more Android developers are asking us for Macs, but I can tell you Every single person in uh, 80,000 people in our company have a PC, a Lenovo desktop, ThinkPad, whatever it's called, but every single one of them. So, I mean, for, Matt, for Apple to give up on, on any kind of foothold that they may have in, in a lot of the world, I'm sure in Europe it's a different story too, but and maybe our listeners could let us know what their work environments are like. But the PC is still a dominant force in, at least in North American financial circles. So, or I mean, sorry, in Toronto financial circles. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of four major banks downtown at King and Bay, right? So, and, and it's prim- primarily a Windows, win- a Windows world. And, and there, like I said before, there's like just as many Android devices as there are iPhones. So I, I'm not seeing it. What? I'm not sure what the relevance of this topic is. I'm not seeing I'm not seeing I'm not seeing if Apple gave up on the Mac, then then Windows would win a lar- a large part of, of the working world's uh, computers. Right. They you know, we might go to, to um tablets and we might choose iPhones and iPhone uh, iPads as our as our choice for consuming content, but for producing content, for writing letters, to, for working in with Exchange mail servers, it's going to be you're going to be working with PCs. And why would Apple give up that? We're working right now to get more get to get a, a Mac platform as a standard of choice in in our environments already. So, I, I think from based on what I've seen over the last 25 years of computer use, it's Windows has always been the pr- predominant choice of platform. If Apple walked away from the Mac, they would be just just a phone seller. Right. They are, and they did. That's my point. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so if, let's do the picks. And Aaron, have you got a pick? I do not. Okay, Mark, have you got a pick? I don't have a pick, but I have a, a tip of the week. In case anyone is running into this bug in iOS 10 that, that I've been dealing with the past couple of days, uh so I have apps that are actually existing apps in the App Store right now that have not been built on iOS 10 that are seeing this new bug on devices that are running iOS 10. And the symptom is that you have a scroll view with a, with a, a view, another view as content uh, that used to work fine, now suddenly is, and this happens to be in, uh, in image view, now is just enormous and takes up the entire screen and is not scrollable or pinchable or anything. So basically it's just dead in the water. And I track down what's going on and it seems to be that when you, in this particular case, I'm adding the image, well, I'm loading the image from the photos library, uh, photos framework, and creating in code an image view that I'm placing as a subview of the scroll view to be the content view of the scroll view. And it used to be up until through iOS 9 that when you added that image view as subview to the scroll view, 
it would it would dirty the layout and cause a, a automatically cause a, a relayout, which eventually would call viewed layout subviews, which was where I was sizing that image view to fit the the collection view. I'm sorry, the uh, the, the scroll view correctly. Now it does not trigger that layout. It just does nothing. So it's it's kind of annoying. Uh, luckily, there's a pretty easy fix. Uh, really, all you do is after you add the subview, you just set you know set needs layout on the view, mm-hmm. and you're good. So it's an easy fix, but it's pretty annoying that it is working with uh, that's happening on on uh, apps that are in the store that haven't been updated to iOS 10, haven't been built against iOS 10. So if anyone is seeing this kind of problem, uh, it's probably that. Uh, you know, send me a message if you want more info. I can I can probably help you sort it out. Took me a couple of hours of digging through the code to figure out what's <laughs> going on today or yesterday, actually. Okay, that's it. Now I have to go check all my apps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Jaime, mm-hmm. do you have uh, twelve picks for us today? Just three. If you were to divide those by four, uh, yes. So uh, the the first one is uh, Twitter dashboard. Um, this came up in some of our conversation uh, that that you and I had with uh, with Greg. Um, Sort of right. the day before the conference, uh, mm-hmm. and I had found like, oh, hey, like Twitter actually has this dashboard app that lets you do things that are kind of more intended to be like businessy. Um, you, you can kind of tell that that's like their target that they had there. Um, but for my needs, I can use it as a, oh, I, I want to schedule a tweet to go out, right? Like, um, like for example, when an episode of this very show comes out, it sure is nice to let people who aren't necessarily subscribed through an RSS feeder uh, feed reader or um, through iTunes or any other, you know, overcast sort of thing. Um, if they're perfectly fine, just going to the webpage when they're like, Oh yeah, I saw that tweet. I'm going to go listen to that in my uh, desktop browser. Uh, this can do that. And it also shows you um, a somewhat different view of the analytics than you would get um, kind of closer to what like the desktop web version of Twitter's analytics your tweets looks like rather than the uh, individual tweet analytics you get in the primary twitter app and so i thought that was pretty useful because i uh sometimes am not you know waking up at the same time every day uh sometimes i wake up a little later than other days i'm like oh no i forgot to send out this thing i got really busy and so if i know ahead of time i can schedule those sorts of things so it's a nice little tool for that okay what's next cool um the next one is uh google allo so was it episode or two ago yeah, i duo talked about, talked about yep yeah we talked about google duo um the facetime equivalent from from google this new app allo is the iMessage equivalent it's kind of neat uh it does a lot of things here like at first it does basic messaging type things and, and for me i was looking at this for two different sort of needs one was again getting to some sort of like what cross-platform way will let me have something that you know, gives me an opportunity to communicate with folks using Android, right? Like for everybody I know who has an iPhone, I'm guaranteed to have iMessage. I'm guaranteed to have FaceTime as a way to connect with them. There's 20 some different ways that, uh, you know, you can communicate with an Android person and it's 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 painful right they may or may not have facebook messenger they may or may not have whatsapp they may not have this or that or this Uh, i'm hoping this really takes off because the other half of it is i wanted to go see what the google assistant can do 
and uh, it's pretty neat. So you, you, you kind of just like talk to it in a way, you, you know, you, you sort of chat with it and it gives you options like, hey, like uh, I want to get some Italian food nearby. Oh, here you go. Here's some Italian restaurants. Oh, uh, you know, when do the Dallas Cowboys play next? You know, that sort of thing. And it also gives you the like quick responses when it's smart enough to figure out what you're trying to do. Right. So uh, I, I told a friend of mine like, oh, um, I'm on my way. And they responded, okay. And then it gave me a quick response that said, I'm here. Right. I didn't even have to type that. So it, just all sorts of fun, you know, machine learning, AI type stuff that, that really helps make things smoother. Uh, I don't know if this will take off or not. Um, you know, the fact that it has stickers since, uh, as we found out <laughs> at the conference and everywhere else, stickers are like the hottest thing in, in iOS 10 by far, like the, the, the biggest feature advancement. Uh, and this also has its own sticker pack thing. So uh, I don't know. Give it a try. Have you seen the um, the Sturm und Drang, I believe is the German term for it, uh, around this app today, given that Google is storing every message you send and mining it for its own purposes, and it's all unencrypted and available to law enforcement. Um, mm, nice. Everybody's saying that you should not, not, not ever, ever, ever use Allo. Um, it is the openest most privacy disrespecting app that Google could have made. I think it's fine for folks to, to be aware of that. I think knowing what you're getting into and understanding the trade-offs you're making, like I'm not, I'm not going to do anything even remotely nefarious in this, uh, in this app. Right. Like, uh, I'm going to be, Hey guys, uh, when do you think the bomb should be set off? I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, that's dumb, right? I probably wouldn't even so that's, joke that's like the, that, given yeah. the case. Like, that would just be, un, you know, unadvisable. Yeah. I mean, you realize you just you just said the word bomb on an on a, uh, international podcast here. So the FBI will be calling you tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. FBI, <laughs> Canadian BI, or whatever there is C- called. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Jaime, I think I think you are the you are the man Terrible argument. <laughs> to to do a side by side by side feature by feature comparison of iMessages, Allo, and WhatsApp, and see who wins. Are you up for it? <laughs> oh man, that is. Uh, <laughs> I, I would probably need some help with that because I. That sounds painful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> These messaging and it's a, a quick little sidebar on this. Like the fact that we even have to have these sorts of things is insane like imagine imagine if we couldn't email each other because we were back in the days where oh uh, i'm on aol you're on prodigy this other person over here is on earthlink and we're these tiny little closed systems uh we're kind of like that with this where look if i want to (laughs) send i can't get it out because i made myself if i want to (laughs) send if i am the kind of person who nefariously wants to send a animated gif of a shiba inu's rear end to every one of my friends like i should be able to do that seamlessly regardless of what platform they use i can do it with an email i can't do it with an iMessage type thing okay sidebar done but yeah i i think your point is well taken (laughs) that these sorts of things are uh I i find them nifty and again even if you don't want to use um allo for the conversational piece uh, it's still a, you know, on the iOS side of the house, a way to get into the what does Google Assistant do? Um, I'm not too concerned about the NSA knowing that I'm really interested in going to an Italian restaurant this weekend. 
So you realize that's the Eric Schmidt argument, right? Like, you've got nothing to worry about if you've got nothing to hide? Well, there will be nothing to hide that I put in there. And I'm, thankfully, I'm aware of that. And I, I do think it is sort of interesting from a societal standpoint of, like, making sure that people are aware of that. Mm. Until you don't realize that you're that there's something that uh, someone is, is paying attention to that you don't think is meaningful, but they do. And then they get you in trouble for that. I don't know. That's a little bit paranoid. Take that out of the show. <laughs> I don't think it is. And I, I think that consumers of services like these need to care about encryption because we need to make sure that vendors understand it's unacceptable to, uh, to be open in these contexts. Um, so I, I'm in violent disagreement with this pick. Sorry, Jaime. <laughs> I don't think anybody should use this. No, it's fine. I, I do think there is, I think it's uh, going to be interesting to see how this sort of thing works out. Uh, we saw at WWDC this past uh, summer that Apple's working on the whole differential uh, privacy stuff that, uh, hypothetically gives us all the wonderful things that uh, Google, Amazon, Microsoft give us with their cloud-based solutions um, with a privacy-centric way of getting to that. So I'll be very interested to see if something like the um, Google Assistant can be done um, on the iOS platform. No doubt. Hey, do you have anything for the people driving at home in the cars? Uh, You know, if they're driving at home, hopefully they're driving somewhere where they want to do fun things because the Final one. Oh, funny. We're talking about uh, privacy stuff here. Uh, the exact opposite of that is Google Trips, which uh, I really wish I had before we went on the, the trip to Nashville, because this would have been really handy. So it's this whole way to get everything you want um, information wise about trips that you're taking. Like, for example, let's let's just take a look at the one I have here. The trip to Nashville that I had the 15th through the 18th of September, it shows uh, all my reservations because hey, I'm a Gmail user and all of that stuff went there for the resort for my uh, Alaska Airlines flight. I can see all the information about where do I need to go? What's the address? What's the phone number? I can have a little hyperlink to view the email itself in case there's something wrong with that. Um, something I think we could have used him was like things to do. Uh, the Parthenon is right here at the top of the list. Ironically, oh, please don't go to the Parthenon, please. <laughs> it has, uh, it has uh, four and a half stars, man. Um, but For you know, what? You, I do. I don't know. I don't, I don't make the picks. <laughs> the Ryman auditorium, Centennial park, you know, other things, um, saved places. So we actually could have like saved like a little, uh, day plan sort of thing of like, Oh, we want to go eat some barbecue. And sure enough, food and drink is here. Um, Adele's Nashville, uh, Etch Restaurant, Ellendale's, Tin Roof, you know, all, all these wonderful things that just like make it super clean and easy to, to get this stuff. Uh, again, you, uh, you are, of course, giving up your uh, your information here, right? Like this magic completely doesn't work without the access that Google has to the information in uh, my Gmail account. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. Uh-huh. There's also uh, offline maps. So you can download Nashville and have all of this uh, trip information saved for yourself. Well, interesting. Do no, do no harm is their motto, I believe, right? Uh, don't be evil is actually Don't it. be evil, yeah. Don't be well, evil. they gave that one up a long time ago, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stick to neutral. Yeah. Exactly. Don't be evil unless there's a buck to be made. Oh, right. right. Try not to be too obvious about it. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a Google ad for you. Um, all right, well, I guess that's it for the week. Uh, so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? As usual, go to Twitter, at Aaron Vey. And Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where do they look? 
On Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, where would they find you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And as usual, my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And we'll see you guys next time. All right. Later. Bye. Goodbye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press that recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate you helping spreading the word. We're also on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. You can support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. few we have too am i right actually no there's one more other few i'm surprised it's oh, not here i'm hang sorry on, just, I don't just see trying to, you know what it's oh, a comment it, no no hang on it was a comment from the website and i thought i approved it but it doesn't seem to have stuck let me approve it right now so let me send you a link give me one sec here Tim, there's also something about a speaker at a conference that you posted speaker it's on the second page that I at the bottom of the document tim you've got tim fu dennis pillarinos Oh, yes. Right, right. Um, hang on one sec. Let me just work one thing at a time here. Old oh, brain. So this is a different thing. Old, old brain works slow. Oh, hang on. I clicked on the wrong thing. I'll just catch up on my Twitters while you're doing that. Yeah, hang on. You like- well, you can actually go to the website and see it. It's actually a, a follow-up to you. I have no fact. idea what we're talking about. Yeah, I know. I'm coming. Hang on. Hold All the right. phone. Hold the phone. Okay, here we go. Paste it right there.